All right, Soma, how are you guys doing tonight? Woo, awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I have a question for you guys. When, now think about it because I'm going to ask for some feedback. When was the last time that you were absolutely shocked by something you saw happen that you thought would have been impossible otherwise? When was the last time you were shocked when you saw something happen that you thought would have been impossible? Anybody? Okay, right there. Josh. That's what I was going to say. Down 3-1. LeBron James, man. He is horrible. I hate him. Um, uh, Anybody else? Brexit? Does anybody know what Brexit is and how crazy that is? Okay. Uh, (laughs) That's like... No, we won't go there. Um, Anyway, like NBA Finals, shocked. Shocking. Absolutely shocking because everyone thought it was impossible, right? And something even more shocking happened uh, in the spring of 1994. Something everyone, absolutely everyone, thought was impossible. And it it happened in a prison in Portage, Wisconsin, uh, where this criminal gave his life to Jesus. Now, normally that's not like a really strange thing to happen. I mean, it's awesome, but a lot of times you hear about people who are in jail give their life to Jesus. And it makes sense. It's like you're faced with the consequences and you see that like the only thing that can change your life is Jesus. Um, So it's not super shocking because people find Jesus in jail all the time. But what was shocking was who this criminal was. This criminal was a man named Jeffrey Dahmer. And in case you're not familiar uh, with the man, Jeffrey Dahmer uh, was a a criminal of epic proportions, like the sort of criminal that you would make a horror movie out of, right? This guy had, uh, he killed, had sex with, dismembered, and ate, in that order, 17 young men. Crazy. Right? But in the spring of 1994, God's grace invaded that prison cell. And that man decided to give his life to Jesus. That man, that murderer, that rapist, that cannibal, he became a Christian. Which is awesome, right? But that's not even the most shocking part. The most shocking part was people's response to this. Right? People weren't excited and singing and like giving praise to Jesus because a man like this came to Christ. People's response was actually doubt. Right? How could a man like that accept the gospel? How could a man like that save and, be go to, and go to heaven? How could a man like that be forgiven? And the most shocking part was that this reaction was from church people. What does this tell us about our understanding of the gospel? It tells us that deep down inside, we don't really believe that what Jesus did was enough. Right? That people don't really believe that all you need to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus. It shows us that our salvation is somehow based on how good we are. Like how, how, how our lives can change and we can become good people. And that's what actually gets us saved. Our performance. And this is so real to me because I have a father uh, who's not a believer. And he has a lot of objections against Christianity and the church and stuff. But one of the things that he always tells me is that one of his like biggest barriers to believing in Christianity is the fact that someone can be a murderer, prayer, simple prayer, and go scot-free and just be forgiven for that. And I think, and I know I'm not just speaking for myself when I say this, 
But when my dad asks that question, don't I still need to do good? That's a question I ask myself. Don't I still need to do good? And tonight we're going to see that that question, don't I still need to do good, isn't the mentality of somebody who knows they're free. It's a mentality of someone who's still living like a slave. So let's go ahead and pray. Father God, as we talk about the freedom that you offer us in Christ today, Lord, I pray, God, that you just soften our hearts. God, that you just expose areas where we don't believe the truth about what you say about us. Lord, I pray that your word would just cut at our hearts, God, that it would encourage us as well and just expose areas that we need your love and your grace just to come in and just invade in such a shocking way, God. We know that you love to do that, that you're all about doing that, Lord. So we open ourselves up tonight, God. Speak through your word, speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Soma. So for those of you who are new, my name is Chris Wozniki. Uh, You can call me Woz. And uh, I'm on staff here at Soma, and we're in a series called Brand New, where we've been looking at just the way that God uh, wants to do brand new things in us, but also wants to do brand new things through us. Uh, And today we're going to talk about how God wants to give us brand new freedom. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And when you're there, can I get a loud word? See, now you guys don't have, like, the scripture ahead of time, so you can't, like, find it and beat me to it. Awesome. Um, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See, Paul tells us, he starts off by telling us that we've been set free. What have we been set free from? All kinds of things, right? Fear, addiction, sin, doubt, self-anxiety, guilt. All that sort of stuff is the things that we've been set free from. In my life, I know that the Lord has set me free from having to have this need to impress certain people about who I am. Right? And it's still a process of actually living out that freedom that I've been given, but I know that God has given me that freedom. Right? And I'm sure that if you think about your own life, that you'd be able to point to areas in your life where you've experienced freedom. Right? It's like, okay, I used to live like this before Christ, and then I came to Christ, and now I'm free in this area. And that's so awesome. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking about uh, freedom from the law. He's talking about freedom uh, from sort of religious performance-based mentality. Now, Dre, um, I don't know if you guys go to service in the morning, Dre has this thing where he says like, oh, I want you guys, this is really important, I want you guys to circle this uh, in your Bibles. If you have a Bible, circle this. Or he says, I want you to put a square around it. Um, or triangle, whatever. It's like, I have a geometry book all of a sudden. And, um, and if I were Dre, I would tell you to circle the word, stand, words, stand firm. Stand firm. You can't be shaken from this freedom that you've been given. See, in high school, I, I played football. And um, you probably couldn't tell based off of my height and my size, but I wasn't the best player. Um, <laughs> surprise, right? But 
Uh, I played special teams, and I absolutely loved it. Just booking it down the field, just blindsiding some guy that was not expecting it. Um, just fun, right? I loved it, except for one game. Um, we were watching film the week before, and we learned that I'd be going up against, uh, we'd be playing this team who had a defensive end who had committed to UCLA. He's a big 6'3", 200-pound guy, 200-something-pound beast of a man. And my job in special teams during field goals was to make sure that this guy didn't break the line and block the kick. Like, that, that was my job. So game day comes, score our first touchdown, and a uh, field goal team comes out, and I'm, like, running out, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, stand firm. Don't get rocked. Don't get knocked down. Hold your ground. And I'm just, like, rehearsing this in my head because, you know, I got to give myself some confidence, right? So I'm, like, standing there. Ball is snapped. In le- like less than a second, I am knocked flat on my back by this 6'3", 200-pound dude, right? That, that's exactly what Paul says you can't do. <laughs> like, that's a terrible example of standing firm, right? You can't be shaken. You have to stand firm. Why is that? Because the slavery of performance wants to knock you down on your back. He's saying that you need to be intentional about standing firm, or else you're going to end up again in slavery. Right? I have some friends... Um, who are driving home from a wedding in Vegas. They're driving down the 15. Um, and these, I won't throw you under the bus, Hojin. Um, and, uh, and Ruth and Andy and CJ. Um, so most of the car was like sleeping uh, or something. I don't know. So no one was really paying attention to where they were going. Um, a few hours later, everybody, like sort of, somebody sort of wakes up and kind of groggily sees a sign. And it's like, Temecula, 10 miles away. <laughs> And um, the fact was they had missed the interchange towards L.A., and they ended up in Temecula, (laughs) middle of nowhere, Temecula, right? Hundreds of miles from home. And that's what slavery to performance is like, right? You stop paying attention for one second, and you end up in Temecula. No, no, no. You you, You end up back in the slavery of performance. Right? If you're not intentional about making sure you don't slip back into that. So let's keep reading. Paul's going to tell us the consequences of that sort of slavery. Verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the, or to obey the whole law. I just love reading a section. Um, Paul's pissed, like absolutely pissed. He planted this church in Galatia, right? And he's like a church planter, missionary sort of dude. So he plants this church in Galatia, and then he moves on to like take care of these other churches. And he's like, okay, guys, like I'm going to leave for a little while, and I'll be back. Make sure stuff doesn't fall apart. You know, it's like uh, when your parents go out of town. They're like, hey, like we're going to be out of town for a few days, make sure you don't break anything. Immediately, door slams, boom, vase falls on the ground. You're like, dang it, what happened? Um, Or you're babysitting, and you uh, destroy the house's uh, pool generator motor thing. Um, That happens. Don't do that. Um, Anyway, so Paul, Paul's saying to them, uh, he he goes off, and, and he's doing this thing elsewhere. 
and something bad happens, right? In come these people um, who, who had grown up uh, with a Jewish background, so they were used to keeping the Old Testament law, and they knew that if you wanted to be a part of God's people, you needed to keep the law. Like, that's how you knew you were a part of God's people, because you kept the law. And part of keeping the law was to be circumcised, right? So Paul calls this group of people who are teaching this Judaizers or, or mutilators of the flesh. So they start talking to people, and they're like, hey, like, so you want to be a part of God's people, right? And the Greeks, who have no familiarity with, like, the Old Testament and Old Testament laws and all that sort of stuff, they're like, yeah, like, sure, like, that, that would be great. Like, why not? And the Judaizers are like, cool, great. You just need to keep the Old Testament laws. And Greeks are like, okay, like, I think I can do that, mostly. The Judaizers are like, well, great, like, you're going to have to cut some things out of your life. Right? No more idols, no more sex, no more pork. And the Greeks are like, okay, like, we can do that. I can manage with no carnitas tacos anymore um, from Chipotle. Like, it's all good. Like, they have E. coli, so I don't have to worry, like, about actually craving that. And, um, and then the, the, the Judaizers are like, okay, like, one more thing. Like, you're going to have to cut something else out of your life. Snip, snip. Um, <laughs> And Paul gets word, Paul gets word of this, and he's like, heck no, you are not teaching my church that, right? And he just rages against these mutilators of the flesh. Uh, In verse 12, he says that he wishes that they would emasculate themselves. Now, if you don't know what that is, go ask your dad later tonight. Um, (laughs) So like, so like why, so like why is Paul pissed here? Is it because they're making people get surgery? No, like, no, it's a lot deeper than that, right? They were adding works to salvation. They were saying it's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus your performance. And a performance-driven mentality ruins people. Have you ever gone to Disneyland and seen... um, been to, like, where the Sword and Stone is in Fantasyland, right? All right, so, so it's, like, cute. Like, you go there, and you see these kids, like, trying to pull up the stone, and it's like, oh, little buddy, like, you're trying so hard. They're like, ah, ah, trying to pull it up. And it's impossible, right? They're not going to do it, no matter how hard they try. It's kind of cute watching kids fail. Um, <laughs> now, never say that about my baby Shiloh. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's cute watching kids fail. Uh, But Paul is saying, this isn't cute. This isn't funny. It's impossible to keep the law and earn your salvation. But making people work for their salvation, you're making them do something that is literally impossible. You're giving them something that's actually going to beat them up and make them tired and make them not want to follow Jesus. And that's not even the worst consequence. Oh, that one's really bad. The worst consequence is that a performance-driven mentality makes Christ of no value. He says that. He makes Christ of no value. And that's serious. Because Jesus plus anything actually equals nothing. Right? Everything he did, being born as a baby, living the perfect life, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, all of that becomes nothing if we earn our salvation through our works by being good, by performing. So what Paul's doing here is he's reminding us that our performance-driven mentality has serious consequences. 
it ruins lives. But he doesn't just like leave it there on like a downer. He actually gives us good news, right? And the good news is that the freedom that Christ has to offer you changes your life in unimaginable ways. So let's look at three or two ways um, that that freedom changes us, okay? So the first thing, uh, it gives us freedom from a guilty conscience. Freedom from a guilty conscience. Um, If you live as though it's Jesus plus being good, you will have a guilty conscience. Because you will always have in the back of your mind the fact that you aren't actually good enough. Right? But the gospel sets us free from having that guilty conscience. So I have a confession to make for you guys. Um, <clears throat> I am really bad at writing thank you cards. Anybody else bad at writing thank you cards? Yeah. Those of you who are not bad at writing thank you cards, it's probably because you don't write thank you cards. And that's <laughs> why you're really bad at writing thank you cards. Um, Really, like, who isn't? But I'm really bad. Uh, Last Christmas, a friend of my mom's gave me a gift card to Barnes & Noble, um, which I love books, so, like, spot on. Like, that's exactly what I need. Amazon would have been better, but whatever. Barnes & Noble have to, like, hunt hunt one down. Um, Well, I actually wrote her a thank you card. Right? You guys can, like, clap for me. That's that's a good thing. Um, Yes, I need that encouragement. Yes, thank you. Um, Well, the thing was, like, I wrote it, and I just, like, put it on my desk and left it there. And um, literally, I just needed to put a stamp on it and, like, mail it off, but I kept forgetting to do that. I don't know why. So I never said thanks for the gift card that she gave me. No big deal, right? It happens. It wouldn't be a big deal, but the lady died. But you weren't expecting that, right? (laughs) Um, The lady died, and uh, I never said thanks. So that is forever, like in my conscience. Um, I'll never be able to get rid of that. Um, okay, I'm, a, I'm a terrible person. Uh, um, but you're probably carrying some stuff too, right? Like, if I were to ask you, like, what is weighing down on your conscience? Something would probably immediately come to mind. It'd be like, oh, like, whenever I open car doors, I, like, always ding the car next to me and, like, never say anything. Or, like, I, I, I take a penny but never leave a penny. Um, I uh, think about that. Um, maybe it's the fact that you never gave $5 for tacos at the summer kickoff. Oh, dang. You know, I know who you are. Um, I was watching the whole time. Uh, anyway, so there are, are lots of things that we can uh, be guilty about, right? Even dogs have guilty consciences. Boom. Oh, you can't even see that. Um, there's this website called, like, Shaming Dogs or something. Um, and they, like, so it says, I eat the eyes out of all stuffed animals because I don't like the way they stare at me. <laughs> and you see all the animals without eyes. And owners do this. They, like, make their dogs feel ashamed. Anyway, so that, I'm, I'm just being silly, right? Like, that's stupid. But there are probably, honestly, many things that we have guilty consciences for. Right? Things that we feel shameful about, that we'd rather not talk about. Right? Like the things that you watch on your phone when nobody's at home. Or like that one time that you got drunk and, and just messed up sexually, or you took it too far 
with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or that one time you said something to your mom that absolutely crushed her spirit and you can't actually take back. Or, or, or that time in your life where you called yourself a Christian, but you sure didn't live like it. Shoot, there might be something that you're doing right now that you have that guilt over. And I'm not sure what it is for you, but there's probably something that you feel guilty about, something that you regret, and it's weighing on your conscience. Now, if your relationship with God were based off of Jesus plus doing good things or being good, then you better be worried about your guilt and about your shame and the things that you've done. Because those things would actually keep you from being in relationship with him. If your relationship with God were based off of Jesus plus being good, you would always have to worry because you wouldn't be able to be good enough, right? You would have to worry. Am I doing good enough? Was I forgiven for that? Have I changed enough to be good? Right, but here's the good news. You don't need to carry that weight. You don't need to carry those things on your conscience. You can leave those things in the past where they actually belong. You don't need to hold on to those things for yourself because guess what? God doesn't hold on to those things. So why should you hold on to those things? In Colossians 2, Paul tells us that God took the records, every record that stood against us, our sin, and he nailed it to the cross. In the Psalms, it tells us that God takes our sin and carries it as far as the east is from the west. Scripture tells us that our sin, when God sees our sin, it's as though our sin is tossed to the bottom of the ocean. I love what Corey Ten Boom, um, the author who recently passed away, says about this. She says that our sins are tossed to the bottom of the ocean, and God has put up a sign that says, no fishing. Cute. Um, it's good, Right? So what are the things that you're tempted to pull out that fishing rod and go fishing back for? Those things that God has thrown away and you're tempted to pull back up. What are those things that bring you guilt and shame that you know God has actually forgiven you for, but you refuse to forgive yourself for? And the question I want you to ask yourself is why do you still hold on to them? Why won't you let go of them? And I think one major reason we don't forgive ourselves is because we think that we still have to be good enough to earn his love. Right? So this freedom that God gives us, it clears our conscience. But it does more than that. The second thing it does is that it gives us the freedom to run the race. It gives us the freedom to run the race. In verse 7, Paul says to us, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? It's like what, it's like he's saying, what the heck happened to your growth in Christ? Like you, you were doing awesome. You were running, you were like growing so much. But I'll tell you what happened. It was a performance-driven mentality that snuck in and stole that away from you. Right? A performance-driven mentality will keep you from growing into the person that God wants you to be. Sometimes when I train running in the hills and stuff, uh, I try to carry weights with me. Why do I do that? Because they're heavy and they make it harder to climb and they drag me down and it's just harder to run with those things. And inevitably they like make me stronger. So that's kind of where the analogy breaks down a little bit. Uh, (laughs) But when I let go of them, right, like I find myself just going so much faster and running so much more easily. Now I'd never want to do a race 
with weights on, right? But that's what living the Christian life with the performance mentality is like. It's like running a race with weights on. It's stupid. It's going to hold you back. It's going to drag you down. You're not going to do it as well as you could. You're not going to live up to your potential, right? The weight of having to be a good person won't actually help you grow spiritually. It'll actually hold you back. Now, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but like Christian growth is a paradox. How do we grow to become more like Christ? Is it by focusing on the law, focusing on things we should do or shouldn't do, or by learning all the rules and keeping them? Most people think that you become a better Christian when you get better at following all the rules. But that's not how we grow. That isn't how we grow. How do we actually grow? We grow by focusing on the freedom that Christ has given us. Right? Tim Keller, pastor in New York, likes to say that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life, right? It's the A through Z, right? What Jesus did on the cross isn't just, he didn't just do that so he could get in on salvation, right? What he did on the cross actually applies to our entire growth because what Christ did on the cross wasn't just give us grace to be saved, but he gives us the grace to keep growing in him. And here's what you need to know if you want to grow. That legalism interrupts growth, but freedom actually promotes it. Right? And here's why. Because legalism, 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 um, legalism leads to burnout. Legalism leads to burnout. Because um, legalism puts this demand on you. It says, do this or do that or else. Right? And when you find that you can't keep up with these demands, when you find that you fail and you keep on failing and you fail again time after time, what happens? You throw in the towel. Because right? you're tired of failing. You're tired of trying to be perfect and realizing that you can't be. And you give up because you can't do it. On the other side of the coin, legalism actually leads to pride. Legalism leads to pride. Let's say you're good at keeping all the rules, right? Like, Live a perfect life, at least on the outside. How long can you keep that up? How long can you keep that image going before the pressure actually starts to get to you? It's like that one kid in elementary school who always got 100% on all of his tests, whose mom had him learning five instruments, and he was taking SAT prep courses in like fifth grade, and is working on his college application since he was like three years old. Dude is perfect, Right? What ends up happening to those kids? Either they become the most prideful person and you hate being around them, right? It's like, oh my gosh, ew. Um, or, or what happens is the pressure gets to them and they end up going crazy and like throwing everything out the window the second they move out of the house, right? Hojin saying that that's him. Um, <laughs> Right? That, that's, that's what happens. It's because a performance-driven life isn't actually sustainable. You can't sustain that sort of effort. Right? You can't grow, keeping, grow by keeping all the rules all the time, or you'll get prideful, or you'll give up. The key to real growth is actually focusing on the freedom that Christ has given you. It's not working to become a certain kind of person. Right? It, it's letting God transform you into the person that you already are in Christ, right? So God wants to change your actions, right? But more so than that, he wants to change your heart. 
Because you know, like everybody knows, like you can do all of the right things because you're trying to perform, because you're trying to have a certain image, because you want to look good and not actually have a heart that's changed and not actually grow. And that's legalism, right? That wrecks your walk with Jesus. It absolutely destroys it. So my question for you is the same question that Paul asked the Galatians. Who ruined the race for you? Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? In other words, who told you that it's Jesus plus salvation? Oh, Jesus plus salvation. Jesus (laughs) plus something leading to your growth, right? Because it's not that. Growth is just Jesus. Who told you that Jesus alone is not enough? Is it your Christian school that you went to? The church you grew up in? Your parents? Maybe nobody ever explicitly said those words to you. Because no, of course, no one would ever actually say that Jesus isn't enough. Right? But you picked it up somewhere. Where was that? Better yet, if you're living that way right now, are you happy with that? Is that actually bringing you joy to live life like that? Is living a performance-driven life actually a joyful thing for you? I doubt it, right? Because legalism is a killjoy. It'll suck the fun and adventure and happiness right out of life. It'll suck it out of the lives of everybody around you, everybody that you touch or, or, or talk to. And that's why in verse 9, Paul says, A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. What the heck is he talking about? Uh, (laughs) He's talking about circumcision. All of a sudden, he's like giving advice about how to bake bread. And um, the fact is, like, I love bread, especially the bread at Red's. So good. Um, Heck, any restaurant that gives free bread, like, I love I love it. Um, even if the bread sucks and it's stale and moldy, it's still free bread, and I will eat it all day long. Um, now, I don't bake bread, but I know a few things about bread, right? Like, bread is good. Bread is really good with garlic. Bread is really good when it's free. Uh, and the other thing I also know is that to bake bread, you usually add yeast, right? Now, what does yeast do? Anybody? Makes it rise. Perfect. Um, any bakers in here? Yes, a couple. Um, now, when you're adding yeast to bread, do you like add like a little yeast or you're like, bam, like a whole bunch of yeast? <laughs> Warner, what do you do? You, you bam? No, no, okay, just a little bit. Um, you add just a little bit of yeast, right? Because a, a little bit of yeast actually goes a long way. A little bit of yeast has a huge effect. Right? And that's what Paul is saying about uh, that performance-based mentality. That's what he's saying about legalism. A little legalism goes a long way. Right? A, legal, a little... It's like a tongue twister. Come on. A little legalism will ruin your freedom in Christ. It'll just steal it away from you. A little... Li- Come on! Yeah. Uh. I'll just say some legalism. (laughs) Uh, Some performance-based mentality will rob you of the joy of following Jesus. A little legalism will ruin your relationships at home. It'll throw shame and guilt 
back in your face, even though Jesus wiped it all away, right? It'll throw shame and guilt at people who don't know Jesus yet. It'll destroy a community like the one we have here. A little bit of legalism will destroy a community like the one we have here. People will walk in here and think like, oh man, like that's what it means to follow Jesus. Like that's heavy. Like that's a burden. Like even though in reality, that's not what it's like, right? Even though in reality, Jesus came to bear that burden for us. But what if we were a people who who refused to let that yeast of legalism into this community? How much more joy would we have in obeying Jesus? How much more joy would we have in this community? People would walk in through these doors and be like, whoa, like that's, that's not what I thought it meant to follow Jesus. I thought it was like about being all stuffy and hypocritical and like legalistic. You can do this, you can't do that. But it's actually not about the rules at all. Christianity is actually about a person. It's about Jesus and the freedom that he offers me through the gospel. It's about the freedom of guilt and shame and my past that he gives me. Like that's, that's something people will be drawn to. People will be attracted to, right? And like, what if we were that sort of community? Like people would encounter Jesus. People would come to believe in him. We'd be a community that really lives and thrives in the freedom of Christ. You know, tomorrow's the 4th of July and um, we're going to be celebrating our country's freedom. Uh, we're just going to party it up. We're going to blow things up, right? We're going to chow down on some, on some things. We're going to uh, dance and play games and like get crazy because America is free and we're going to light fireworks and we're not going to light them in here, but like we're going to light them across the street. No, we're not going to. Actually, that's not true. We're not going to light them across the street. These hills will burn. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's such good news to know that in America, like, we have freedom, Right? But it's a million times better to know that we have freedom in Christ. So if you know that you're free, I would just invite you during this time of worship to celebrate and just party it up like it's the 4th of July, right? Minus the fireworks. But if you're doubt, if you doubt that you're free, I want you to do something. I want you to take this time just to declare your freedom through worship. Even if you don't feel it, you don't like feel that it's true, declare it's true because our freedom was already purchased for us 2,000 years ago. We are free in Christ because of the cross, not because of anything we're doing or feeling today. Because regardless of how you feel, the truth is that it is for freedom that we've been set free. Right, so let's just take this time of worship. As I invite you guys to stand up, let's take this time of worship to just celebrate that freedom and get excited and pumped about the freedom that Jesus has given us. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, because of your love that knows no bounds, God, that your love came after us, that you sought us out, Lord, that regardless of what we had done, regardless of what we do, that your love pursued us in such an unstoppable way. God, you would not let anything get in the way of giving us that freedom to truly experience you and truly worship you and truly know you. 
God. So I just pray that in this time of worship that we would get excited and pumped and passionate about the God who's passionate about us. God, that we would get excited about the freedom that you died to give us. Jesus, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your grace, for the freedom you give us, just for how you've wiped away all this shame and guilt that we can carry, God. And we just give you thanks for that rest that you offer us, Lord, that that rest that we know that we can add nothing to our salvation, that rest that we know that we can't add anything to our growth, and that you accomplished it all for us because you love us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.